Well, hello. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. And I'm glad that we can uh, provide this uh, virtual worship service during this season, during this time. I know that all of our schedules, all of our normal routines, all of the things that we have become accustomed to have fallen by the wayside. There are no normals anymore, but as a way of trying to have some semblance of normalcy, of some semblance of continuity, we are thankful that we can provide these services. And, and one of the ways that we are trying to show this continuity, even from the days that we were gathered to worship together and now we are spread apart, is by continuing in the series that we began many months ago in the book of 1 Samuel. And so this morning we'll be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd encourage you to turn there. The passage will be uh, placed on the screen in front of you in just a moment. The book of Samuel can be broken up into three different parts, and each part begins with a crisis, a crisis followed by a solution to that crisis. We've already seen two of these crises. The first was very early in the book. It was a crisis of the priests. You remember uh, Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were the priests who were working, who were worshiping and leading the people in worship at the tent of meeting, but they were wicked men. And so there was a crisis around who would lead the people in their worship, and so God turned aside from them and he rose up Samuel. And shortly after that, a few chapters later, we had our second crisis. This was another crisis of leadership, but this was centered around the kingship. Because the people had determined that they wanted a king like all the other nations, and so they rejected God as their king. And that was solved by God raising up Saul to be the king. And now, today, in the passage before us, we have the third crisis that's introducing the third part of the book of 1 Samuel. And this crisis revolves again around that same king, Saul. But now it centers on his disobedience. Now, we're going to have to wait until next week to, to see how this crisis is resolved. But for this week, what we have before us is the crisis of this king who disobeys. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel 15. It is a long passage, and so like last, last week, I'm only going to read portions of the chapter. We'll begin in verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so that's what Saul does. He raises up a group of, of warriors, of soldiers, and they go to battle against the Amalekites. They go to war and they triumph and they are victorious. But, but Saul does not put everything to the sword and he does not destroy all the oxen and all the donkeys. Instead, he, he kept some for himself. 
And so Samuel hears of this from the Lord, and he approaches and confronts Samuel. And so we pick up in verse 13. Samuel comes to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, I have brought Agag, this king of Amalek, and I have devoted <clears throat> excuse me, the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the, God, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that this day you would allow us to hear it clearly, that we would know what it means to be your people and we would follow you in all the ways that you have commanded us, so that our lives would bring you glory. So help us now to see the way in which we are to go and to hear your word. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it took a 
number of months of prodding. It took some pleading. It took a, a little bit of encouragement from one of my children, but I finally gave in and I watched Frozen 2. I resisted as long as I could, but, but my child promised me that I would love this movie. It was better than the first. I would enjoy it. It was great, and I would have fun watching it, and so I watched it, and my child was right. <laughs> Frozen 2 is a good movie. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not going to sing, but, but it was uh, an enjoyable time. It was a good film. We, we had fun watching it, and if you've seen Frozen 2, you know one of the the plot, one of the, the pieces of the plot that drives the movie is the voice. You see Queen Elsa, the queen over Arendelle, the queen who has power over ice and over, over snow, she hears a voice. And it's not a voice that speaks specific words, it's more like a tune. It, uh, it goes kind of, ah, and, and I know I didn't hit the right key, and probably my child will make fun of me, and that's fine. But, but it's sort of just this note, this, this sound that, is, that only she can hear. And she can hear it, and she knows that it's for her, and she knows that she's supposed to follow it, that, that it's going to lead her in the places that she's supposed to go into her next steps. And, and so what does she do? Well, if you're a Disney princess and you hear a magical voice, you follow it, you obey it. And that's what Elsa does. That's what she does. But, but that's what happens throughout all kinds of fantastical stories, doesn't it? I mean, often the protagonist is led on a journey, on a quest by something outside of themselves. But, but in the real world, I mean, is that how we live our lives? A voice comes to us. We have commandments that lead us in the story, in the passage before us. Well, we don't have a princess or a magical voice. No, we have actually something much more significant. We have the word of the Lord. We have God's voice, God's word coming and speaking to King Saul. And though the, the circumstances may differ, the result should still be the same. If you hear God's voice, you should follow and obey. After all, if the king is the king of God's people and the one that God has chosen, the anointed leader over Israel, when God speaks, he should listen and he should do what God commands him. And God does speak in our passage. The root of the Hebrew verb to hear is used eight times throughout our passage. It's not always translated in English here or to here. Sometimes it's translated summoned or obey. But the point is clear. There's a lot of hearing going on in our passage. And when it is God who is speaking and Saul who is hearing, the expectation is obedience. But will he obey? Will he follow the word of the Lord? Well, before we get to Saul's response, we need to see what it is that God says, what God speaks. And in verses 2 and 3, we see what he says. We hear it. God commands Saul to raise up an army and to go into battle against the Amalekites and to destroy them. And I imagine that when some of us first heard that, as I was reading it a moment ago, some of us probably started to wonder, like, how could God command his people to go and destroy another 
people? Well, there's lots of ways we can answer this, but I just want to highlight a couple things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point because the vast majority of the passage doesn't even deal with the destruction of the Amalekites. It's dealing with the result of Saul's obedience or disobedience. But it is important for us to deal with a couple things. And the first thing that we need to note is that these Amalekites, they weren't this innocent people. They weren't just sitting idly by, minding their own business, and God casually and very capriciously decides one day that they need to be destroyed. That's not what's taking place here. They're not an innocent people. In fact, they are guilty of attacking Israel. God makes reference to it in the first couple of verses. But, but as God's people had been coming out of Egypt and moving towards the land, the Amalekites attacked them. You can read about it in Exodus 17, and Moses recounts it in Deuteronomy 25. So these people weren't innocent. They weren't innocent. They had opposed God and opposed his people. And so God sends war upon them, sends judgment upon them, as a way of judging them because of their immorality. They're not innocent. It's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out is that often in passages like this, what we see, particularly in some of the other passages like this, where God's people are called to go to war against another people, is that if those people who had sinned, who had opposed God or his people, would repent, then they would be spared. If they would turn back to God, they would be spared from this battle. We actually see this with Rahab the prostitute in the book of Joshua. When the people come and attack Jericho, she is spared because she said that there is no other God like the God of Israel. And she protected the spies. And so so she was spared, her and her whole family. And so there again, what we see is that this is about morality. It's about obedience to the Lord, and those who will turn in obedience to him will find mercy and grace. Now, there's far more that could be said, but but for our purposes, I'm going to stop there. But encourage you, if you're interested in reading more about this topic, this particular topic, there's a wonderful book by Christopher Wright called The God I Don't Understand. And he takes, uh, takes two chapters to deal with this question about God sending his people to go to war against other peoples and destroying them. I'm also going to be posting on the Realm a short article I wrote dealing with some of the issues surrounding this. So if you're interested, you can turn to one of those. But for the rest of our time, what I want us to focus on is Saul's response. You see, Saul hears God's call. But does he obey? Well, he only partly obeys. Because what we see in verse 9 is that Saul spared the king of the Amalekites. And they also spared some of the spoil. Because in verse 9, we're told Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. 
You see, they destroyed the worthless things, but they kept the good things for themselves. And when Samuel, the prophet, hears the sound of the sheep and the sound of the oxen, he knows that those sounds indicate that that Saul has not obeyed the Lord. That Saul has been this one who has heard but not obeyed. And so Samuel is sent by God to confront Saul. And how does Saul respond? Well, he lies. He lies. Look at verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, we know better, don't we? He hasn't performed the commandment of the Lord. It's a lie. It's a half-truth. And it's not just we that, don't, that know better, it's also Samuel who knows better. Because he says, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? You see, Saul has been caught in a half-truth. But here's the thing, friends, a half-truth is a full lie. He has lied about what he has done. And he has been caught in this lie. And so Saul shifts his story. He doesn't just lie, but he also blames. Look at verse 15. He says of them, the, the people of Israel, he says, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. And in verse 21, he says, the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen. You see what he's doing? He's blaming the people. I mean, in fact, in verse 20, he says, I have gone on the mission. I have obeyed the Lord. But the people, well, it's all their fault. You see, he blames them. He doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't own his own error, his own disobedience. He blames. But he doesn't end with blaming. He doesn't end with lying. He also seeks to justify himself. Look at the end of verse 21. The people took the spoil, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, and they did it, why? To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Okay, so do you see how he's trying to justify what he's done? Can you hear it? Well, sure, we didn't destroy everything like God said, but, it, but, but we held back these things. We're, we're going to use them to worship God. We're going to offer to him these sacrifices. It sounds pious, doesn't it? It sounds awfully religious. But for all of his piety, for all of Saul's religiosity, he's completely disobedient. And Samuel responds in verse 22, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Do you hear what Samuel's telling Saul and what he's telling us? What the Lord wants, what God desires is faithfulness and obedience. Instead, Saul gave false religion and disobedience. And his disobedience led him to lie and to blame and to try to justify himself. And even his repentance is superficial. Because when he responds and says, I have sinned, it sounds like he's moving in the right direction. I have sinned, and so maybe he will repent. Maybe he will confess. Maybe he will change his ways. 
But then he refers to the Lord as the Lord, your God. Your God. How can he say that? Your God. I mean, God was the one who called Saul initially. And God was the one who anointed him. And God was the one who made him the king over his people. And now he's your God? Well, the reason why Samuel, or excuse me, Saul is saying this is because he's not actually that concerned with his standing before God. He's concerned with his standing before men. Look at the beginning of verse 30. He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me. You see, his concern in all of this isn't about his relationship with God or what God would think or what God wants of him. His concern is about what man thinks of him and what men want from him. He even said he feared the people. And in seeking what the people wanted, Saul rejected God's word. And by rejecting God's word, he rejected God. How could he do this? How could he respond in this way? I mean, this one who had clearly heard the Lord's voice. How could he do this? How could we? Because, y'all, the truth is, is that we're not that much different than Saul. We tell our little half-truths, only giving the information we want people to have so that they'll think a particular way about us, allowing them to believe things that make us look good or advance our own position. We like to blame, right? We say things like, like, it's not my fault. If that person hadn't have done or said X, Y, or Z, then I would have never responded in the way that I did. It's not my fault. It's, it's their fault. They made me respond as I did. We blame shift. We have half-truths. We justify. We think, though the means aren't completely honoring to God, well, the ends They'll justify the means. See, friends, we're not all that different from Saul. We hear God's word, not audibly, not through a prophet, but we hear it in his Bible, in his scriptures. We hear his word and we very easily turn from it. We hear it and instead of doing it, instead of obeying it, we disobey. Saul disobeyed. And because of his disobedience, the kingdom is going to be torn from him. He had heard God's word, but he did not obey. And friends, that's what we need. We need to obey God's word. We need to hear it and obey it. But, but we also need a king who will obey. In verse 28, Samuel says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And in the next chapter, we're going to see who this neighbor is. But we already know who it is. right? We know who's coming. We know who's waiting, King David. 
But we know also not only is David waiting, not only is he the neighbor who will replace Saul, but, but we also know that as great as David will be, he will not obey in the ways that we ultimately need. You see, we need a king, friends, that is better than Saul. And we need a king who is greater than David. We need a king who obeys perfectly. And that's who Jesus is. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, we're told that by this one man's obedience, by Jesus' obedience, the many are made righteous. And then in Philippians chapter 2, we're told what this obedience consisted of. Because there we're told that Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ obeyed. He obeyed the will of the Father. He obeyed the plan that was devised in eternity past. He obeyed to the point of going to his death. Christ obeyed in every way that we have not. He kept the law perfectly, and because of his perfect obedience, because of his sacrifice, perfect life for us, we not only have forgiveness for our disobedience, but we now have the enablement We are enabled by his grace to obey. Friends, that's what Christ has done for you. What he has done for me. That he is the king who has obeyed perfectly. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And as those who have heard God's voice, who have known his grace, who have trusted in the king who obeyed and died because of our disobedience, how can we not obey? How can we not respond to this grace, to this mercy, to this steadfast love? How can we not respond with obedience? And so, friends, let us listen today, and let us follow all of our days, and let us obey the commands that God has given. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, and you have spoken to your people. We are thankful that you have given us your Son, who lived and died and rose again, who lived a life that we could not live, who obeyed perfectly. You kept, Lord Jesus, the entirety of the law, and in doing so, you gave yourself. You gave yourself so that we would have life, and we would now be able to obey. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to obey, to hear your word, and to follow you. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.